You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, there goes the holiday plan then, right? The Secretary of State for Health, Matt Hancock, yesterday announced perhaps the most stringent crackdown yet on our borders, threatening 10-year prison sentences, £10,000 fines and quarantine restrictions so severe that they will cost individuals £1,750 and will ensure they are locked up in solitary confinement in a hotel room for 10 days. Do you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because around about this time last year, I started to ask whether it might be a good idea to shut down the borders of this country. And I was told in no uncertain terms, not only by doctors, not only by scientists, not only by behavioural scientists, that that wouldn't be worth doing. Because the reason is, you don't really catch people by testing them at airports. You don't really stop the disease from spreading when it's already in the country. So what the heck is Matt Hancock playing at? Don't worry, of course, there are some exceptions as usual. So it's not really a quarantine at all. We'll be asking travel guru Simon Calder what it means to the travel industry. Presumably not very much good news, I'm afraid. I've got a list here uh, of all the exceptions for people coming into the country, right? So if you are one of these, an offshore oil and gas worker, an OPCW and IAEA inspector, a postal worker, a quality assurance inspector for human and veterinary medicines, a registered health or care professional, a regular worker abroad, a regular worker in the UK living abroad, representatives of a foreign country or territory or British overseas territory, seamen, masters, inspectors, surveyors and ships, you get the idea, right? Right, so there's plenty of people who could come in and don't have to quarantine. Marvellous, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Meanwhile, here's a list of some of the offences for which you could also be sentenced to 10 years in prison. First of all, filling out a form in the wrong way. Second, possession of firearm with intent to cause fear of violence. Third, trespassing with a firearm, making threats to kill, administering poison so as to endanger life, indecent assault of a woman or a man, cruelty to persons under 16, grooming of children who are underage. The list goes on and on and on. And Matt Hancock wants to lock people up just in case they think they might have told a bit of an untruth about where they've been. Lord Sumption says Hancock has finally lost his connection with reality. I think he's lost the plot altogether. 0344 499 1000. We're looking ahead to our brand new coverage of Prime Minister's Questions, of course. We'll be in the company of political correspondent Charlotte Ivers. Sir Keir Starmer is really going to need to pick up his performance after last week's disaster. Uh, also, Neil Oliver is here as well with his take on a growing sense of immobility. It's not just the snow and the coronavirus restrictions keep keeping people inside their houses. They're actually worried now about going out. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us introduce you to a man who needs no further introduction. He is, of course, Simon Calder, travel editor at The Independent, our favourite travel guru, a man who might soon be out of a job, given that you can't actually travel anywhere. Simon, a very good morning to you. <laughs> Mike, yes, crikey, uh, you're, you're quite right. Well, we've, we've had the extraordinary scene this morning of the Transport Secretary, whose responsibility is for uh, maintaining a thriving travel industry, trying to close down the travel industry yes. that is correct um grant shapps has been out and about on the media this morning saying well 
you won't be able to travel till everyone is vaccinated in the UK. And then we've got to wait for the rest of the world to catch up with vaccinations before you go abroad. And anybody who, you know, the vanishing, I think he actually said, the vanishingly thin number of people who are thinking of booking holidays do not book a holiday. So that's um, not great news for those of us who enjoy, indeed enjoy the odd holiday or two. Um, but it's also terrible for the millions of people who work both in the outbound travel in the industry, sending people off on their holes, um, but also people um, who work in the inbound travel industry, whether that's uh, uh, for business or for for um, uh, American and uh, Asian and European travellers. Um, basically, uh, that's it. Um, effectively, um, line up here for your P45, everybody, um, as I shall probably do as soon as I finish talking to you. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I know that we often look at other countries to see what they've been doing, and certainly other countries have had uh, a quite strict quarantine system in place. But what's the case uh, in other parts of Europe at the moment? Is anyone else doing this? Uh, then they're not doing it. They're not being so strident. I mean, if you look, for instance, at you know the the southeastern corner of Europe to Greece, they are mo most definitely saying, um, "Yep, we are going to get going for the summer." They're mm. talking about june i think it might be earlier than that they're certainly in discussions with um with israel where of course they've got lots and lots of um uh, way ahead even of, of the uk in its vaccination program um and they're saying okay yeah we're, we're going to have a, a once 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 things get better once we get a lid on the virus um once we got vaccinations kicking in um, then we will welcome people in and um uh yeah if you've had both your jabs um well good for you and uh, we'll make it easier um but they're being careful also to say, but we're not going to keep out families, you know, if you've got a couple of youngsters who haven't had the jab. Um, so they are very definitely opening up. You're going to see that all the way across. I mean, Spain, Portugal are having terrible times at the moment, but uh, Italy has even started to open up some of its uh, tourist attractions. And while France, um, which is another huge destination, has got its borders closed now, um, that is really to manage uh, what, what's happening and they will be um, uh, opening up soon as well I imagine because they are tourism dependent so the UK is a think a bit of an outlier along with Australia and New Zealand but of course we're on a very different page because um, for them 100% of all new infections coming from abroad. Mm. For us, it's 0.01%. So well, that's um, right. And, and as far as the numbers of hotel rooms are concerned, I mean, how do they even know how many to book? Because I've heard a few thousand, 1,500 here, 1,300 there. I mean, you know, they presumably have no real way of knowing how many of these they're going to need. But, Mike, they don't want anybody to come in because that's why they've given them so much warning. You know, they, they, uh, the, the UK government has been warning. Uh, it will be by, by, the, by the time it comes around on Monday, it will be a month mm. since they started saying we're thinking of introducing it. It will be um, three weeks since the government said we are definitely doing it. Um, and then two weeks since they said and it's starting on the 14th of, uh, 15th of February. So effectively, they're saying to everybody, um, you know, get in before this happens. Right. Um, apart otherwise, from, you're going to be flummoxed. Apart from, of course, that long list that I started to read, I only yeah. got a third of the way down it of all of the <laughs> usual exceptions you know and i'm afraid you either do it or you don't do it and as I, and I said this last last september when they brought the quarantine rules in they had such a long list of of, of, uh, uh, of various different exceptional people some of which have now been thrown off the list including journalists i'm afraid um but, but basically <laughs> quite, right too. Uh, quite right too exactly as you say but basically if people can come in from other countries because of a job of work that they do or because they happen to live abroad then that's not a quarantine uh, well, um, is it? I, I, I think it's what you're trying to achieve. And clearly, we have such incredibly high levels of infection still very sadly in the UK um, that actually to, to you know, the, the majority of people who are coming in are coming in from countries with lower infection rates. And the, the phrase here which sort of springs to mind is, are we trying to make the perfect the enemy of the good? You know, if good is getting numbers down, reopening the economy, allowing people to, to kind of get back to work and accepting that there's a small amount of extra risk, then that is arguably better than just saying, right, we're 
closing all the frontiers. Yeah. And this is very, very popular, by the way, in Scotland. And um, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from some of your Scottish listeners. Yeah, they are absolutely fixated on. You know, ha- well, are we going to stop the trains at um, Berwick well, and uh, to be Carlisle honest, I mean, looking, looking at looking at the snow from Scotland yesterday on the news. I mean, I don't think they can go very many places anywhere unless you've got happen to have a snowboard or a pair of skis. But of course, unfortunately for them, Aviemore <laughs> has got the best snow they've had for ten years, and it's shut. Yeah, well, there's, there's some pretty good snow in the Alps as well. There's also there's some wonderful beaches in Tenerife where I would like to be sitting right yeah. now with you, Mike, and buying you a beer. Um, that but be we're nice. not doing that. A bit early, though. Yes, we're. we're <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're both journalists remember that's true Um, but 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 uh no of course there's all sorts of dreams and hopes that people have and actually it's much more important than just people going on holiday Mm. of course there are uh, families who haven't been together for getting on for a year um there's partners who you know are are simply unable Mm. to see each other there's families who desperately need to uh, to get together um and there's business people who need actually to get on and do some um some some uh you know have some proper meetings and get on with uh making some money so much much more than oh listen uh, and i'm one of those people that, that that you describe because i heard you saying um earlier that if somebody goes to visit their elderly or sick relative mother father whatever in canada they still have to pay this 1750 quid when they return so there's no exception for sort of what you might regard as um as as you know sort of emotional compassion trauma cases, or compassion yeah. cases yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I mean, unfortunately, those are going to be exactly the people who, who as it were, fall foul of this, um, because everybody else um, who doesn't need to travel urgently will, will be, I predict, doing one of two things, Mike. They will either be making sure they get back by Valentine's Day mm. before it kicks in, or they will be sitting it out. And I've been exchanging messages with somebody who's in Portugal right now, an executive with a top I'm, British I'm glad you company. Said that. I thought you were going to say it was something to do with Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, he he basically just says, well, you know, I mean, what's, what's your advice? Do I get back by um by Sunday, or shall I sit it out here on the beach? Mm. And um, uh, so, so so you know, it's a question of how long this is going to go on for. And personally, if you, I, I suspect that it won't won't um, be in anything like the same shape the other side of Easter, mm. because it's a bit like blanket quarantine when they introduced that um, in. June last year, they spent five weeks talking about it and announcing it and re-announcing it. Then they actually spent less time with the policy in place. It was in place for 33 days. And I think this one might be quietly kind of engineered out yes. of the way. So you've only well, got I people noticed, from as ever, Burundi and Paraguay will still be on the red list. Right. And um, wonderful, though, both countries are. I don't think um, people will care much. Uh, probably not, no. Because interestingly, uh, once again, Matt Hancock, who Lord Sumption has described as having lost his kind of connection to reality, which I think is probably right. Um, he says we will remove these measures when it is safe to do so. You might as well have said we will remove these measures um, when hell freezes over because there's no definition of when it is safe, what he thinks is safe or what Sage will say is safe or what anybody thinks is safe. You know, is it yep, safe? And he... Have you seen Marathon Man? <laughs> oh, just off to the dentist, actually. Yeah, great. Um, no, look, uh, he, he was careful, the health secretary, to use an absolute. You know, it wasn't a question of as soon as we think it is safe enough. He said as soon as it is safe. And, yep, uh, breaking news, it won't ever be safe um, completely because life isn't like that. Life isn't mm. safe. And sure, you can keep the barriers up for as long as you want to. You're the government. You can stop people going on their holes, even if they've had both vaccines. You can close down the inbound tourism, which um, the UK is doing pretty successfully. Um, and then we can all you know, wonder what we're going to do in terms of employment. And, and that's a, the perfectly reasonable choice of the government to make. But it is not consequence free. Well, you can tell when they've lost the plot in government, when they start thinking that people want to see pictures of them at work. Right. Have you seen this on the front of the Telegraph? Uh, Matt Hancock <laughs> yes. rolling up his sleeves. There's a bloke with a beard sitting behind, probably on PlayStation. Right. Supposedly making <laughs> policy. There's a girl in the front looking as if she's very bored. Another one uh, looking even more bored with a computer closed down. I mean, they all think they're in West Wing or something these people he's obviously auditioning for his own movie you know matt hancock the man the legend starring benedict cumberbatch i mean i'd much rather they fix the bleeding economy instead of posing about for pictures quite frankly 
Ah, uh, well, where's your union flag, by the way, Mike? You've got to have a union flag there, haven't you, if you do? I've got it. If, I'm, if I'm, I've got it under the desk. You know, people accuse okay. me of being a racist every time I bring it out, so I don't bring it out too often. But uh, but thank you for asking, Simon. <laughs> Let me also ask you um, about this ludicrous situation that we currently have now, where basically the government is making these uh, rules uh, for travelling. However, they didn't think it was worth doing a year ago. You know, I was asking for them to do this, uh, at the very least test people, uh, ages ago, Heathrow Airport, as you well know, um, the, the the guy that runs Heathrow was offering to test people when they came into the country as long ago as about September. And yet the government never thought it was worth doing. Yeah. In fact, it goes back to April last year that the they, they said, please, 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 just, you know, when travel comes, starts coming back, please test everybody before yeah. they set off when they arrive. Um, the government has always said that testing on arrival is a complete waste of time. Their, their numbers have been very, very seriously uh, questioned. But, um, yeah, that's part of their mantra. And another one is, you know, they will traditionally say when you say, well, you know, um, why didn't we close our borders last March? Why did we open them up to the world? And they will say, Mike, um, and they've said this on talk radio and elsewhere. Um, oh, well, have a look at America. They closed all their borders in March and they keep repeating this in the House of Commons. Yeah, except and, they uh, didn't. Uh, Oh, well, they didn't exactly. And I pointed this out and I said, well, hang on. Yeah, the aviation minister last night said something which was palpably not true. Right. And they said, oh, well, he didn't actually mean they're closing all their borders. Well, it's written there in Hansard. So, <laughs> um, but this, I, is it, I, but this I, is the trouble now. We've got this kind of comedy um, of errors going on where things are said and the government keeps saying them often enough and they think everybody's going to believe them. But it's not true. Well, you never know. But look, the, the the other certainty, Mike, is that I bet if you were able to poll all your listeners right now, the vast majority of them would say, yep, close the borders completely. Keep everybody out. Forget this list of exemptions. Yeah, but we're not Just doing that, are we? Out. Well, no, we're not. But um, uh, but but uh, it's still very, very popular. And as um, the tr uh, chair of the Transport Select Committee, Hugh Merriman, said when Labour came out and said, oh, we want to be tougher, tougher, tougher. Um, he said, well, that's funny because, you know, the MPs I talked to are really worried about jobs in their constituencies. Yeah. Are you sure this isn't informed by the opinion polls rather than um, well, that is the problem. Uh, what, what and I, and I would want. take yeah. issue probably with with what what if I did poll the listeners to this show, uh, I bet you most of them would say, actually, lift most of the restrictions. We've got the vaccine you promised us that that was going to be yeah. the road to, to jerusalem and we were supposed to be all getting back to normal uh, and instead of which they're now telling us that they're waiting for more people to be vaccinated than they said last week would be safe to be vaccinated so you know it's a movable feast but i'll tell you i'll give you an idea of how fanatical uh, and how dedicated the listeners to this show are uh, i've got this note here from yazzy i've just hit my leg so hard on the lounge door rushing to change to talk radio before i hear a word from that <laughs> ghastly man on the other side so you know you should be privileged simon to be here uh, with such a dedicated audience with, with you know hanging on your every word well that's very very nice and talking of the road to jerusalem yes. mike that might be where i finally get to buy you that beer because um uh, israel has revealed um on israel army radio actually which is their version of talk can you believe yes um that that uh, they're in talks like with that. the the UK um, about uh, having a travel corridor because actually, you know, we're the two nations which are furthest ahead. So yes. it might be that um, I'll be uh, inviting you to Tel Aviv. Well, and, listen, um, I saw some uh, pictures last night of people sitting on a beach in Tel Aviv in a very nice looking bar, uh, sitting quite close together, not wearing masks. It looks like the future to me. I'll be very happy <laughs> to accept your invitation, Simon. Good. Thank you. I, I look forward to that occasion. <laughs> mind um, you, mind you what be. they don't want is all those influencers who went to Dubai because they'll soon realise the error of that particular idea. Uh, well, how much influence have you got and I got, Mike, after all? Well, listen, quite a lot, I have to say, Simon. Listen, as ever, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Simon Calder giving us uh, his view of what is, in fact, um, what appears to be uh, too, too little, too late. I mean, I've been saying to people, right, for the best part of the last year, every time we had this new quarantine imposed, this new kind of uh, restriction imposed on one country or another country, I kept saying, look, as long as you've got a list uh, of exemptions, as long as you're armed, which goes all the way through to, to medical people, sewage workers, oil and gas um, uh, workers, people who work abroad um, but live here, people who live abroad but work here, 
I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on, unless you're actually going to shut down the border completely to anyone. And I can bet you, as we were saying yesterday, just after Matt Hancock made these announcements, that there'll still be people coming over illegally uh, from France in dinghies. I bet they won't be being put in hotels for the cost of £1,750, except to us, presumably. So there's no there's no fairness here. There is no uh, sense to it. Lord Sumption, a very esteemed... Um, a scholar of the legal situation says that he thinks that Matt Hancock has finally flipped effectively, that he has finally taken leave of his senses and he has finally started posing for pictures, as I say, uh, on the front page of the Telegraph, as if he's in some kind of movie about Watergate or about, you know, Downing Street, the film. I mean, you know, just get on with making sure that the economy gets back to normal. Make sure that people can do the jobs that they want to do. We've got the vaccine now. More people will be vaccinated by uh, February the 15th, which is only on Monday, uh, covering all of the top four sections of the vulnerable. That was supposed to be the signal by which we could start to ease the restrictions, not to put more of them on. For heaven's sake, 0344 499 1000. We're going to take loads of your calls today because we need to hear from you about what on earth is going on in this country. We've got Prime Minister's questions, of course. We'll be presenting it to you in that brand new, brand spanking way that we did last week. It'll be exciting. It'll be thrilling. It'll be enthralling. Even Sir Keir Starmer might look interesting. This is Talk Radio. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that it's nearly four years since the Grenfell Tower uh, went up in uh, flames and that terrible, terrible death toll happened over in West London thanks to the ridiculous cladding rules that had been brought in by local councils, which nobody really knew very much about, aside from the fact, of course, uh, that the cladding rules were mostly brought in uh, by people who were very keen to make things more green to make things more environmentally friendly, to make things more uh, easily identifiable, if you like, and in some cases, better looking. Now, it seems that there is a massive problem with cladding and buildings in this country, because despite the fact that we discovered after Grenfell, there are so many buildings that have been covered in this ghastly stuff, which is deathly and fatal and dangerous. Nothing's actually been done about it. Now, this week, Robert Jenrick, the Housing Secretary, is going to introduce some kind of fund that will include grants to remove the cladding from tower blocks because the problem for a lot of people who live in tower blocks is that they either haven't got the money to remove the cladding or pay to remove the cladding because they own uh, the leasehold of it but not the freehold. People who live in rented accommodation are also in trouble. Let's talk now to Stephen McPartland, Conservative MP for Stevenage, who has quite a strong view on this. Stephen, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. It seems incredible, doesn't it, that this has gone on for so long. Uh, People have been dragging their heels. Ordinary people, uh, homeowners and renters, have been suffering at the hands of this. I mean, they're living cheek by jowl, basically, with with what could be a potential death trap. 
Oh, very much so, Mike. I have um, <clears throat> lots of people up and down the country who've contacted me who I'm at their wit's end. I mean, many people are suicidal. Mm. If I give you a little example, um, a number of people have to um, pay for what's called a waking watch, and that's to have two, three or four people on the premises um, every single minute of every single day, seven days a week. And in some areas, you know, um, I have a building in my constituency, it's costing them £14,000 a week. Mm. So um, they're pretty much paying the same on their mortgage as they are on their waking watch each month. Right. That's before you get to insurance premiums haven't gone up thousands of percent and all the other costs on top. Absolutely right. And I've seen many news reports about, you know, some buildings where the uh, the, the owners of the leaseholds in those buildings, which is a very convoluted and strange rule anyway in terms of how to own a property, are left with a massive bill because they're basically being told by the freehold owners, you've got to have to pay for this. And um, very much so. Um, so um, one of the big things that I've been doing is I'm leading a campaign with my colleague, the Member of Parliament for Southampton, Itch and Royston Smith. And we've got almost 40 Conservative MPs to back it now as long uh, with the other parties. Mm. And we're trying to amend the fire safety bill so that very simply leaseholders do not have to pay for historic fire safety defects yeah. and that's what we're working on and we're getting huge support on that and to be honest with you the announcement today at five billion pound which is nowhere near enough and of course there's some problems we can talk about um it does show that the pressure's working yes the pressure obviously is working but there seems to me that there's several kind of um, blocks in the way of all of it and it, i mean one of them is is just red tape it seems two the local councils don't seem to be seeing from the same hymn sheet as the government um, and then three you've got private landlords who in some ways you can understand not wishing to suddenly have to foot the bill for all of this um, i think it's really complicated and the problem with it being so complicated is it is incompetence it is incompetence from the ministers at the moment mm. so they just not go a grip of the issue and where we are is back in january 2020 they changed the government guidance and the guidance effectively um, applied to buildings over 18 meters in height which was about twelve thousand, we think and um they then changed the guidance to state any building of any height so that meant hundreds of thousands of flats and approximately you know 10 11 million leaseholders were brought into it and as a result of that as you can imagine with, with supply and demand mm. you know there's not enough people to do the inspections and not enough people to do the fixing of them a flat that's on the second story which has a wooden balcony is being treated in exactly the same way as a flat that would be um, at the top of a building like Grenfell Tower um, enshrined in cladding Absolutely right. Because most of this cladding was, was sort of imposed upon landlords, wasn't it? And I mean, much of it was paid for by the public purse uh, in certain buildings around the country. So the whole thing has been a complete disaster from beginning to end. And, and I blame the green lobby for an awful lot of it. I don't know, Stephen, what you think about that. But an awful lot of this was imposed upon buildings on the basis that they would insulate them better. Uh, and somehow it would be better for the carbon uh, free future that we want. Well, I mean, I think the problem that what we've encountered is more to do with um, fire, cladding plus fire safety defects. So mm. cladding covering up um, shoddy jobs underneath. We've encountered a lot of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's been going on this for probably the last 20, 30 years. So it, nobody could say it's any particular government's fault. But, you know, our government, um, I'm very disappointed that my colleagues have not been able to get a grip of this issue. Mm. And they don't seem to understand what's going on. And I find that frustrating, as are the millions of leaseholders up and down the country. Yeah. And what is the definition of, of, a, of, a, of a resident that gets a, a grant as opposed to a loan? How does that work? <clears throat> so we don't know the full details yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. But at the moment, there's a suggestion that it may only apply to buildings over 18 metres. Mm. And if that is the case, that would mean that, you know, effectively over 90 percent of people would be missing, missing out. So it's certainly not good enough. I mean, I've been very clear. I won't vote or support anything that results in these holders having to take loans because it's not fair that they're having to pay for historic fire safety defects. I mean, if you think about this, Mike, you know, I've come across leaseholders who were in primary school when these buildings were put up mm. and now being told that they're responsible yeah. um, for actually making them safe. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely not defensible in any way, shape or form. And I would imagine probably not defensible in law either. I mean, I guess the difficulty with home ownership, whichever kind of home you buy and whichever kind of um, mortgage you get and whichever kind of leasehold you, you, you get, there is an element, I suppose, of, of the buyer has to be aware of what he's getting into. 
And very much so, but with the government keep changing the goalposts, so the fire safety bill, what it does is it means that um, the walls in the, of the building and the fabric of the building come into scope of that law, and then the fire brigade can go to the building owner and say, by law, you now have to make this building safe. If mm. you refuse to do so at a certain time, it's a criminal offence, and they are then legally allowed to pass that bill onto the leaseholder. And this bill, the fire safety bill, we've not voted on it yet in Parliament. Right. So my colleagues have an opportunity to work with us to improve the bill and ensure that those um, leaseholders are not responsible for these bills. And as far as the removal of the cladding, which was meant to be beginning fairly soon after Grenfell, what's happened with all that then? Um, well, I mean, th th this is the problem, Mike. I mean, they talk about um, cladding as being... Um, a big issue and it is an issue but it's only one part of the whole issue around fire safety defects which is what mortgage companies and insurance companies are interested in which is why the housing market in those areas are falling apart and cladding itself it's then split into different definitions so technically a wooden balcony is cladding mm. so the government focuses on what's called acm cladding and that's the one that's considered to be the most dangerous but um the, it's like everything like people throw these words around so they throw the word cladding around and at the moment the definition of cladding is pretty much anything on the outside of a brick wall right so what are you hopeful for when robert jenrick un unveils all of this stuff i mean will we finally see some beginning of an end to this unfortunately i don't have much faith in it so <laughs> i'm not sure that i'm very hopeful at all um i told him in parliament um, very clearly to get out of his ivory tower and stop talking and start helping people mm. um, i think you know the five billion will be welcome just from the sense of it shows that pressure's working and we've got to just push on harder what i'd like him to say the only thing that's actually worth him saying when he stands up is leaseholders are not responsible for historic fire safety defects that would help a lot of people sleep at night yeah absolutely right i mean there is a sense with this government that they are in a bit of an ivory town that they are kind of unaware of the everyday um, sort of you know problems that ordinary people have with regard to not just this particular issue but also with regard to the covid lockdown uh, and all of the kind of uh, restrictions on travel uh, businesses opening up and all of that i mean i had simon calder on earlier talking about this madness of the 10-year sentence for you know filling out a form in the wrong way um, and he said well i bet you if you polled your listeners you'd get them all saying we need to lock down more well guess what i'm polling my listeners right now and 83 percent of them want to open the economy because we've had enough of it and we all know that it has to be safe and we all know that things have to be done and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here uh, Stephen but I can't let you go without asking you I mean this government surely needs to see that the damage that's being done to communities to schools uh, to kids uh, who are not able to go to school to businesses that can't open you know we've got to find a better way out of this haven't we and very much so. I mean, you know, I, I'm a Conservative MP and I think the government's done a lot of very, very good things. I think we are let down by some um, departments and individuals at times. But, you know, um, to be very transparent, I voted against lockdown twice yeah. um, because I was speaking up for the 10 million key workers who've been told it's safe to go out to work since last March. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you for doing that. And let's keep that pressure up because I think that's what we need. Stephen, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Stephen McPartland, Conservative MP for Stevenage. Voice of common sense is what we're going to say. Uh, this morning, uh, Simon Calder called for me to put out a um, a poll to see what people wanted. And there were two questions on the poll. What do you want the government to do? Uh, number one, do you want them to shut down the borders? Or number two, to open the economy? Well, let's see. 83% of you so far, and nearly 2,000 of you have voted. So it's a genuine poll, which is just as good as any YouGov poll. 83% uh, of you want to open the economy. Only 17% want to shut down the borders. So once again, I'm afraid I've been proved right. Simon Calder has been proved wrong. Let's take some calls coming up. 0344 499 1000. We're live streaming on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk Radio, the home of common sense, the one place you go to find out what the people of this country think. Don't don't mind what Matt Hancock tells you. Don't listen uh, to what the sage scientists say that everybody wants to do. Don't look at the YouGov polls to find out precisely what uh, this country wants to do, because all that YouGov seem to do uh, is ring up people that live in Putney uh, who have got laptops made by Apple, uh, who can work from home and have got a beautiful dog that sits there adoring looking at them while they pat their very intelligent children on the head. Well, I say cobleros to all of that because the real people of this country want to open the economy, 84% of them. Keep voting, please, on my Twitter poll. Let's talk to Neil Oliver, uh, archaeologist, TV presenter, man of the people. Neil, very good morning to you. 
Oh, Mike, someone bring a hammer and nail this coffin shut. <laughs> or how about somebody bring a hammer and, and break out of this coffin in which we have been placed so that we could once more soar uh, into the blue sky yonder? Yeah, I, I completely... I, taken Aside from all the, the, the scientific medical technicalities, my heart falls into my boots when I hear about people you know, being content to live in this limbo. And my heart soars, logically, legally or not, whenever I hear people saying, you damn the fear and, and, let, and let's get out. I, I, I at least, that's what I'm, that's the oxygen I crave. You know, that is the, that's the, that's the oxygen that, that makes my fire burst back into life. And yes. I hear people saying, let's just, let's just take the, the risk. Let's look ahead. Let's, let's look forward. You know, that's what I live for. I was out, I'm just back in. I was out walking the, uh, walking one of my dogs in the snow. As you said, it's, it's beautiful here. Yeah. Bright blue sky that it hurts to look at. Beautiful, untouched white snow. And the, the presence of the snow and the excitement you can see on the faces of the kids that are out sledging in it just now, it's a crucial reminder of, of how transient life and the moment is. You know, Robert Burns said... You know, as the snow falls in the river, a moment white then melts forever. Mm. And you see the kids out seizing the day, grasping the opportunity. And this torpor that, we, that we've all been forced into where we're having to suspend everything, you know, jam tomorrow, just forget about 2020. Now it looks as if we might have to forget about 2021. Well, that's not good enough no. because this is the only day. And, you know, that, that, that fall of snow and the pleasure being had in it by children is the crucial reminder that everybody needs that it's now. We have to live now, not tomorrow, not next year, but now. And that's what most people, I think, in this country want to do. You know, we've got the vaccine now. We were told that when we got the vaccine, things would be different. And yet what we're now seeing is not only are things not different they're getting worse they're in the rabbit hole now it, it, it just seems to me matt hancock and, and, the, and the rest of them I, I almost use matt hancock now as a sort of a collective noun for you know representative of all of them where it's only about the virus everything and anything is about the virus mm. there's no concern being paid to people that are dying of anything else there's no attention being paid to people whose lives are being destroyed in whichever way it's you know it's ABC anything but COVID. As long as the government can demonstrate that 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 you know that has that that death wasn't you know that you know that what they're doing is right, then they are content to keep ploughing down, drilling down into this rabbit hole, mm. which to everybody back on the surface looks increasingly illogical and indefensible. Well, I said this morning to Simon Calder, it worries me. I don't know if you've seen it on the front of the Telegraph today, but there's a picture of Matt Hancock which looks like a still from a movie. And I do worry that some of these characters, who, let's face it, have come from the kind of dweeby area of society. You know, they've gone to university, they've got themselves hooked into some political movement at a very early age when they should have been getting drunk uh, and doing all sorts of things which we can't mention at this time of the day. Um, and he's standing there as if he's a, a character in West Wing, you know, because they get this ridiculously inflated idea of themselves. You know, when Benedict Cumberbatch plays Dominic Cummings in a Brexit movie, they all think, oh, great, I can now be a Celebrity. I'm now. They actually. I mean, Jonathan Van Tam clearly thinks he's some kind of whiz kid uh, who loves going in front of the cameras and being quirky. One of the many endlessly tiring misuses or misappropriations of language is this word optics. Remember when suddenly they all started talking about the optics? You know, when, when what they actually simply need to say is what will it look like? Mm. Why can't they just say what will it look like? Yeah. And that's what that's what it's all about. Way back in the distant past, when, when something seemed to be happening in China and then seemed to be happening, was happening in Italy, you just know that, that all they were concerned about, that political class uh, and, and, the, and, and the scientists that were prepared to back them up, they were just worried about what to do that would look best. Yeah. Oh, it's all about appearances. The whole thing, the whole thing, it's not about, it's no longer about a public health crisis as far as I'm concerned. They're just worried about how things look. Mm. How can we be seen for today, just get through today, looking as if we've done something? Yes. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what, what effect it's actually had. Let's just be seen to have done something. And that is it's, terribly... It's, it's so it's terribly cynical, Neil, apart from anything else. Richard Littlejohn wrote uh, this week about it and said, you know, they've clearly now set up this narrative to blame us, 
if it goes wrong, you know, because we didn't do what we were told. We didn't do the right thing. We didn't do what they suggested. And so they had to make it more difficult for us to do more things because otherwise we didn't know what we were doing. And I was watching the news last night, seeing people skiing around in the middle of Glasgow, which, which really warmed the cockles of my heart. Uh, people snowboarding in the West End, you know, heading up behind the Glasgow University there. And, uh, and then I saw Aviemore, where they've got the greatest snowfall in 10 years. And it was completely and utterly deserted. And you just think, you know, there's something wrong with it with all of this. Why can people not ski, for heaven's sake? You know, you wouldn't have been surprised to see some kind of triceratops walking across the the, the, the acreage of the mountains because there's no people. Yeah, I think I think in this, I'm not sure, but I think in the same piece, Little John was saying something about when, I would prefer to say if this is ever over. Uh, but, but he was saying that when this is over, the relationship between government and the and the and the populist government and the electorate will have been fundamentally altered and not in a good way. And I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I think what we've what we've seen what we've seen is not leadership, or, or if it's been leadership, it's been leadership from the rear. You know, they've been at the back pushing us from one ridiculous situation to the next, uh, and them on their salaries and their pensions and their you know and the and the, and the quangos and the, and the rest of the people mm. on their on their six figure salaries. You know, busy with you know with the project of a lifetime, untouched by the consequences of what they're doing. They're just they're just pushing us uh, from one you know unbearable situation to the next, and that's not leadership. You know, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, it's, it's like cowardice in a mm. in a Savile Row suit. There's no one there's no one standing at the front saying uh, this will be fixed and 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 there is a bright future and this is what we're going to do and these are the straightforward challenges. Mm. You know, they're just hiding behind signs, hiding behind anything that, that prevents them facing the reality of the situation that they've created. Exactly. And you know, also, the, the, and also the anger out there must surely be reaching some kind of point where, like my kids were saying weeks ago, what's the point? Yeah. You know, what is the point? Right. And you said yourself in your column this weekend that you found yourself kind of being almost um, relieved that you didn't have to fly to London to do something that you would normally have been doing. And I know a lot of people are in this situation where, you know, we're going to do a big piece this week, uh, this week today, hopefully, uh, with uh, Peter Hitchens and Dan Hodges, a big sort of head-to-head debate. We were hoping to get them both into the building. We can't, so we're going to have to do it on uh, remote, Zoom, Skype, that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of people are unable to go and do what they want to do, but you start to feel a kind of relief that you don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a salutary reminder about how quickly... Uh, your um, your abilities uh, 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 deteriorate. It's a, I suppose it's a bit like when somebody's suddenly confined to bed, and their muscles atrophy and, mm. and and dissolve away much much quicker than they might have expected. Yeah. And then there's bed sores and all the rest of it. And I I feel I know as I said in the, in the piece that I wrote at the weekend. I think I've developed an agoraphobia because I, ha- I was supposed to be in London. Then it was then it was postponed for all sorts of travel restriction reasons. And I, I realised to my shame that I was relieved that I didn't. Now, I, I'm so, I used to be, I, I'm in a normal year, I'm in an airport of one sort or another three and four times a week, yeah. hopping on what, your long haul flights, short haul flights. And there I was feeling relieved that I didn't have to go and, and queue up and get through security and do a 50 minute flight to the capital. Yeah. And I thought, well, how has this happened to me in a year? I know. And that, that, that's why, this is why when people, the part of the narrative was about, well, it's only one year. Or, or it's only today and, and everything will be you are changed much more quickly than that and the, and the and coming back from atrophy coming back from a year confined you know in a you know in, in an iron lung you know is much harder than the than the time you spend actually in that suspended animation yes and, and when and if we're ever given the opportunity to get back out there it's going to take a heck of a long time for people to to build up the muscle again and build up the fitness and build up the, the endurance that, that we've all taken for granted because we were out and about in the world. Yeah. This period of hibernation is going to take a lot longer to get out of than it took to get into. That's absolutely right. And of course, for some people, it won't be possible to come out of it because one of the things that's been damaging and has been so um, terrible has been the effect it's had on people in care homes who haven't been able to see their relatives and their loved ones and they're unable to do as much exercise. Many of them stuck in their rooms, not allowed to go out anywhere. Um, and so so they've actually physically deteriorated and we've heard from loads of people on this show who say that you know the difference in their elderly mother or father uh, from say you know July to December when they saw them last was shocking and quite stark 
Um, and many of them are clearly much weaker. Uh, if they're suffering from dementia, that's got a lot worse. You know, all of those things which you don't come back from. There is no recovery from that. Um, and similarly, you know, you and I are relatively, you know, well-worn individuals. We've done things in, in, in life and we've been to a lot of places. But imagine how your teenage kids are feeling right now. It's another disingenuous use of language. Language is so important. And, and, and some, of, some of the people that were being led by, you know, apart, whatever else they're not very good at, they're expert in the use of language. Mm. And this suggestion of recovery is completely disingenuous because to recover suggests that everything that's been suspended, everything that's been wounded will come back. That's what recovery is. Yeah. But I would say, no, it's not. What's gone is gone. Mm. What's dead is dead. And it's not coming back. There are people out there, there are businesses out there, livelihoods, there are states of mind out there that have been done away with, and they are not going to recover, they're not going to come back. Now, being, you know, we're a species that prevails and that, and that continues, and there will be something else, there will be a future, and it will be populated by those who have found ways to, to take advantage of the situation, and some people will create something new, there will be regrowth as there is after a forest fire clears the clears the wood and suddenly the green shoots appear. But that's not recovery. That's something else starting from scratch. And that's different. And we're being invited to think erroneously that, that all the people that have been hurt will get better in whichever way you mean, whatever you mean by hurt, mm. economically, spiritually, in, in terms of health. But what's gone is gone and it won't come back. And, and we're being invited to turn a blind eye to that. Yes. I mean, I suppose you could argue that that kind of thing has already been the case in, in certain businesses. For example, if you look at the high street, how the high street was already kind of changing. So maybe this has accelerated it. Um, but it's hard to know, isn't it, exactly how um, this is different from the general evolution of society. Yeah, I mean, it's when people it depends on your um, it depends on the resolution that you're using it depends how close you know if you're, if you're very close to a piece of newspaper print a photograph is just a lot of dots and, and it's only when you pull back to a certain height that you can that it takes the shape of something that you can recognize mm -hmm. and if you pull back further again you just can't see it now it, when you look at what's happening on that on the high street and in the economy uh, we're being invited to to overlook the fact that at the, at the granular level, it's people, it's individual people and individual businesses and individual livelihoods that are being done away with as though they don't matter, the ends justifying the means. And there's plenty of people saying, well, maybe we needed to go through this and maybe there was too much dead wood and maybe these were relic businesses and relic business models that, you know, they were, you know, they were going to fail sooner or later and now they've just been cleaned away, wiped away as though by a forest fire. But that, that's all, that's fine if you say it quickly. But every single one of those instances that you're talking about having been burnt to ashes is an individual. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a life. And this, this callous disregard that's, that's out there in the leadership where they're saying, oh, well, you know, never mind about 2020 and never mind about 2021 so far. And when we get out of this, you know, there'll be jam tomorrow. That is ends justify the means. Yeah. And that is the wrong way to think of individual human lives. No, I totally agree because we've been doing this now for a while. I mean, I was quite surprised to hear today uh, on Talk Radio, uh, Bobby Friedman was on uh, uh, this morning with Julie Hartley Brewer, who's a barrister. Uh, he was saying, well, you know, we'll just have to forego another summer holiday. Well, no, that's what we did last year to a large extent. And you can't just keep saying, oh, well, we'll just forego it because it will be fine later on. Because let's face it, nothing that this government has said uh, about what will happen next has actually happened ever, I don't think. Goodness, I mean, it depends just how sort of philosophical you want to get about about these arguments. But there's a, you know, there's a, a school of thought that goes all the way back to Aristotle in Athens about it doesn't matter what people say. What matters is what people do. Mm. You know, Aristotle said that plot is is character. So you don't need to you don't need to agonize. We all spend a lot of time. We listen to what Matt Hancock or anybody else says. And you think, why did why did he say that? Mm. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. You judge a person by what they actually do. Yeah. You judge a person by their actions. So the fact that he or anybody else says in the future everything will be different and better is a completely meaningless and irrelevant statement. All that matters is what they do next. Mm. That's what you watch. So disregard the fact that they're promising jam tomorrow. 
Anyone can say that. It's like all the other useless, meaningless slogans that, that, have, that have haunted our lives for years. End poverty. You know, right. you know, you know, fix climate change. Yeah, sure. Everybody wants to do that. It's like saying don't kill puppies. Mm. You, you won't find anybody that disagrees with any of those simplistic statements. But so don't you don't listen to these people saying in the future it will be better. Mm. Any clown can say that. Yeah. What matters is how they act, what they do right now. As they walk away from the podium, what do they do? And if it's just to perpetuate the situation that we've been in for the last year, then nothing has changed. And unless and until they realise the damage which is being done as a result of the shutting down of the economy, the shutting down of the NHS altogether, apart from treating people with COVID, until they realise that damage that has been done, until they acknowledge it as well publicly, even though they kind of make noises about it, like Boris Johnson will say that he wants to open things up, he wants people to go back to school, but he hasn't yet acknowledged that thousands of people have died. A study came out the other day, uh, was published in The Telegraph, in which it said uh, that basically two-thirds of the number of people who died of COVID have also now died as a result of something else caused by inability to get treatment. This is this, this situation that we are in uh, is very, very dangerous, I, I would say, for all sorts of reasons. And, and here's just one way in which it's dangerous. Now, for for a, a long time, many, many businesses and many, many people have been held up by furlough you, you know, which is monopoly money. Yeah, it, it, it's pretend money. I mean, previously, when 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 governments did uh, qualitative easing and, and uh, quantitative easing and, and printed money, they were careful to keep that in the system. You know, by government bonds and all the rest of it. This is the first and only time that 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 monopoly money has actually been given to people to spend. Mm. It's never been done before. Mm. And as long as they keep the furlough going they're able to suspend disbelief. You know, there's a, there's a clip that you can look up online of Muhammad Ali fighting a lesser contender, Brian London, I think it is. And in, in the course of about two seconds, Ali lands about 16 punches on the guy, right. right, to the face and body. And he's being held, you can tell that he's being held up by the punches. Yeah. He's already gone. And as soon as Ali stops hitting him, he falls over. Right. For, the, for the two seconds, he's been held aloft by the punches. Right. Now, furloughed people, fur the furloughed economy is being held up by the by the punishment yeah. at the moment. And as soon as the punishment, which is furlough, which looks like something good, but is actually something bad, as soon as that stops, the economy is going to fall over like somebody that's been pummeled mm. to the point of unconsciousness. And the, 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 the danger is that the, the government thinks as long as it can keep on landing the punches, as long as it can keep on printing the monopoly money, then the economy won't fall over. So the question becomes, how much of this funny money do they print? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the answer to which uh, will continue to be uh, as much as we need to without actually explaining where it's coming from or how they're going to solve it. Uh, I was going to ask you about the SNP, Neil, but we're out of time, unfortunately. So we'll hold that on for next week because I'm sure that story will still be rumbling on. There's a big story tomorrow, uh, which is going to involve the Spectator magazine uh, and a lawsuit. We'll tell you more about that later on. Neil, thanks very much indeed. Neil Oliver, archaeologist, TV presenter, a man uh, who talks an awful lot of common sense, uh, as indeed do we you all uh, here at Talk Radio. We've got uh, more updates for you on the poll uh, which we're conducting. Uh, what do you want the government to do? shut down the borders or open the economy. 83% of you want the economy opened up and that's over 7,500 people now who have voted in just over an hour. So I think that's a pretty clear message to this government that people out there are not, like Simon Calder thinks, wanting more shutdown, more lockdown, borders closed, shops closed, pubs closed, schools closed. How about something open? Thank you very much indeed. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.